Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris. Friday night, just got paid. I'm not going to sing the song from the 90s. It's so old now. <laughs> oh, my gosh, is that old? Anyway, great to have you with us, Johnny. Great to be with you once again here on Texans All Access. We got a lot to go over tonight. It's kind of a fun Friday. There's lots to do. You ready, my friend? You know, when you said the 90s were so long ago. They were. I'm like, wow. And it didn't hit me. We we had a, a department function the other day, mm-hmm. and we've we've hired a young lady by the name of Lauren Walker, who is going to be fantastic, help us with our social uh, media part, which has become so big. I mean, 10 years ago, that wasn't even pretty much a thought in anybody's job. mind to bring on somebody <laughs> that would, you know, handle social media for us. But She came on. We were kind of having a little side conversation about age and things like that. And I said, hey, watch this. I said, Lauren, I said, how old are you? And in essence, Lauren was two years older than my son, not even two years older than my son. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of looked at me and they're like, whoa, Johnny, you're old. And I was like, like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But but young in spirit. And that is important. That's what young in spirit. That's fine. And that goes the other way. If you're in your thirties, but you know, you're like Fred Sanford, rah, 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 grouching about everything, grousing about everything. And then you're old in spirit. I don't want to be around you, but if you're young in spirit, that's good. That's fine. That's what I am. I felt physically older and more beaten down at 35 than I do now, considerably older, by the way, now. So yeah. uh, everyone's lives are different. And I get it. But one thing about the 90s here, I told you I was listening to this Quentin Tarantino podcast with Joe Rogan. He brought up an interesting point about the 90s because that's when Pulp Fiction was and Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. and all his cool movies came out. Then Jackie Brown, which I love. But he said the 90s were kind of like another 70s. And I never thought of the 90s that way. But he's sort of right. It was kind of wild wild kind of coming out of this 80s really conservative decade so it's like the opposite of the 70s in that way coming out of the 60s but it was this sort of let loose thing and the 70s were a let loose decade and you had some economic hardship earlier part of the decade then you have the internet boom but you had a lot of interesting creativity stuff going on uh musically in the movies and otherwise i thought that was a neat theory and we are where we are now in the 20s we're in the tw- the roaring 20s here we are john and we're gonna <laughs> roar tonight all right the first thing i wanted 20s i wanted to get to this last night and this is texans related because it got me watching a texans game tape from last year which i don't really do I, you do a ton of this stuff you go back yeah. and watch the entire season evaluate things where it all went wrong where it went right yeah. whatever but on profootballtalk.com, they brought up the issue of Ben Roethlisberger's tells, which I guess was a Doug Farrar story yes. originally. It was, it was originally – now, going even further back, it was, okay. it was a poster – not, not like poster hanging on the wall, but it was somewhat, someone who posted, I want to say like on TikTok or something like that. Farrar happened to see it. He then went and tried to test the theory and – thought that he was right about it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, ah, guys, no. Yeah. No. He's, he's not, not right not about it. it. That, that Roethlisberger, when he's in the shotgun, and he's in the shotgun a ton. A lot. One of the most yes. often shotgun snap-taking quarterbacks in the league. Now, apparently, according to the story, 
when he's about to throw, his left foot is up. It's kind of in the upright position. The heel is off the ground, in other words. Uh, When he's going to hand off, the heel's on the ground. Well, I just said, well, we played the Steelers last year. Let me go back and look at that. And I looked at the fourth quarter because I remember the Texans had the lead in the fourth quarter. So I also wanted to see what went wrong in this game. (laughs) What went wrong against the Steelers on the road? And it was so weird. It's freaky. You see the empty stands, and you were there, and I was calling the game off monitors here at NRG Stadium with Andre, and that was the first time we did that. It actually worked out pretty well from a broadcast perspective. But anyway, Roethlisberger's heel's on the ground. I mean, it's on the ground when he's throwing. Now, it comes up a little bit when he takes the snap, but it kind of does that too when he hands off. And if you can see the split second that the heel might be up a little bit more when he's about to pass, if you're looking for that, you're dead already as a defender. Am I right or am I right? Right. I mean, that's not like... I'm giving a, you know, a giving it away with a full second or two where you can actually react to that. You cannot react to his heel. You got to react by the time you it, but process the information of what the heel is doing. The ball is either handed off or thrown and you're dead. Correct. Correct. This, I saw this story. I didn't even, I didn't even follow up. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, you know, in, in coaching over the years, you know, Belichick tells a really, he tells a great story actually about Orlando Brown, senior Zeus mm-hmm. big Zeus and I can't remember I think it was 03 or 04 one of the good Patriots teams and Zeus had played for Belichick when Belichick was with the Browns and so they felt like they had a tell on Zeus and they were really excited they were like this was the most obvious tell ever we had it down. There was a difference between run and pass. It was going to be perfect. And then Zeus wasn't active for the game. And Belichick said he was like, oh. But that was back in the early 2000s. I can't imagine with all of the scrutiny that is placed right. by coaches in the NFL, by quality control coaches, by defensive assistants, by offensive assistants, that anyone gets away with a tell for 17 years. Yeah. No way. Come on. No way. Not buying it. I'm, I'm absolutely not buying it. Here's the flip side of that. If you have a tell like that on somebody, not to say that, uh, not to say that the guys don't have them, but for a major player like Ben Roethlisberger to have one, you, you got to know that you would think it's something that someone would have picked up on in the league and they would have been talking about it. Somebody it would have gotten out yeah. way before this. Definitely. Way before this. Now, if you do find a tell or you have one, as a team, you don't say anything about it on the field. You talk about it in the meeting rooms, you discuss it, and when you get out to the field, you don't say anything. You just get everybody on the same page. That you got to expect that everybody's because as soon as you go, well, there it is, there it is. You point it out. All of a sudden, the guy's like, wait, what am I doing? You don't say anything about it. But if you have, but if enough teams know about it, man, it's going to leak out there in the media. It's going to get out there. And for 17 years, no way. I didn't buy the story when I saw it. I thought it was absolute nonsense completely. And at that point, if I'm Ben, I would have totally kind of played into it, actually. I'd have t- oh, yeah. played into it. Like, oh, you're expecting this? Well, here you go. I saw a <laughs> NFL – I think it's called NFL Throwback is the actual title of it. 
that does some stuff for NFL films. I think the NFL throwback is the actual Twitter title. And they were doing a thing on Dwight Freeney, like 12 minutes, like a, a thing on his career. Man, he was so good. I mean, I know we know that. We, we've seen it. You saw it up close two times a year. Too many Man, times. Man, he was unbelievable. But he said something at the very end. They, were, he, they showed one of his final highlights, and he said, I spun twice. And I didn't understand what he meant. I was like, did he spin? And he said, no, he spun on one play, and then he spun on the next one. And he said, I never did that in my career. I never spun twice because guys were looking for it. So I had to kind of pick and choose my spots. And he said this one time, and it was near the end of his career, he decided to do it twice. He did it once, and he almost got there. And he did it a second time, and the guy was not expecting it. He spun back inside, and he ended up getting a key sack to, to end the game. The point with all that is your the ability to, to change things up and, and do things differently is something players go through all the time. And yeah. I guarantee you somebody smart enough that if Ben would have been doing that, he's had Mark Whipple as a coach. He had Bruce Arians as his yes. offensive coordinator. There is no it. way in Hades that that thing held up for 17 years and some blogger on TikTok and Doug Farr found out about it. No way. Yeah, I Not thought this was, this was fascinating. And I'll never forget McLean telling the story about the Oilers going to the Chargers in the 1979 playoffs when everybody was injured and they picked off Fouts four times because he had a tell. They said if his foot was angled out uh, when he was taking the snap and he never took the snap from shotgun, uh, he yeah. was going to throw. If it was pointing straight forward, he was going to hand off. And I forget who said it along the D-line, but they said Army, if he's going to run it, and they said Air Force, if he's going to throw it, which after a while you would think Fouts would catch on. You know, when they say Air Force, I'm usually throwing it, you know, Air Force yeah. throwing it. Yeah. But who knows how it all played out, which reminds me of another thing, Johnny. In flag football, when I'm coaching Vanderkid, and yeah. you can send the extra pass rusher, right? When I want yeah. a blitz, I say the name of a football player. When the blitz is off, I say the name of a basketball player. It's pretty obvious. Like LeBron James, that means don't blitz. Uh, Peyton Manning, although I've had to update my references because yes. these are little kids. Like the eight-year-olds are like Peyton who? Peyton Place. They don't even know anything about Peyton Manning, except he's a guy maybe on TV. They see in commercials every once in a while. I don't know. I digress. Yeah. But well, this is you know, a I mean, thing. It's, yeah, it's very much a thing. And it's, it's funny because you'll voice things, you know, voice audibles as such. Um, you get to a point where you, you don't know where you've heard them, but you've heard them before. And I, I, told, the, I told the story of um, I was watching I was watching something before one of our games in 2019. I think it was 2019. And I was watching, I was watching one of those detail shows with Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning goes through and he kind of explains the game in detail. And he mentioned, he mentioned kind of a blocking scheme that a quarterback was kind of yelling out at what he was doing. Oh, I know what it was. It was before the Miami game in 2018 because I saw Brock do it. Okay. And he talked about Manning talked about, okay, you know, if a quarterback does this and he's doing a kind of a motion with his hand, like kind of stay out there, then that was typically a run play because he wanted that receiver to stay out of the mix and stay out that you weren't involved in the blocking scheme. Uh, so I saw Brock do that. And I was like, Oh, this is a run. And he did that three times. And I picked up on it each time, but that thing changes. It's like the same thing with Peyton Manning with Omaha, you know, 
what did yeah. Omaha actually mean? And Peyton was like, well, yeah, you know, it could have meant the, it could have been a bunch of other things. Yeah. I always had voice commands for my team too, but I, it was a one, I knew it was a one-time usage. Right. In a game, on. in a game, because if you said it again, oh, they were going to know. So I always knew I had one voice command and you had one shot at it. And so we were playing our biggest rival. It's fourth and four. And I decided to go for it. And I had a play called and my quarterback um, checks to, he basically was a check Sally. So he's at the lines like Sally, Sally, check Sally, check Sally. And I didn't hear it. And my assistant coach comes running down. And basically that was a weak side toss. And I hated weak side toss. And my assistant comes running down and he's like, he checks Sally. And I was like, I just didn't miss a beat. And I was like, he better bleep and be right. And he ran, we ran it for 40 yards down to the three yard line. He was right. Trust um, your players, Johnny. Yes. You trust your players. But I also knew I was like, okay, he used it. And it was the only time we could use it. And it was in the right. first quarter, but we really needed it. So I was okay with it. So you can do different things like that, but you better be aware that the teams are going to pick up on, on that certain thing. And, and as far as foot down, foot up, those kind of things, licking your hands when it's a pack mm -hmm. I guarantee you along the way, if he was doing that, Ben probably picked up on it and he may have used it to his advantage at some point, but you mentioned that game last year, Mark, that was the most surreal game of all oh boy. And here's why we were there in 2014 for the Monday night game. That was the last time I'd been in Pittsburgh, 2014 Monday night game. And that was electric. That was an electric. I mean, it was uh, just seeing the towels and everything. That was my image of Heinz field. Sure. That was it. And you go in there and there's not a soul. And it's totally empty. Like a scrimmage. And the only voice I hear is yours and Andre and mine. I mean, the, the, that's it. And I remember when they scored at the end, the worst running game in the league took our defense to school. Anyways, James Conner scores. And all I remember hearing was just the offensive coaches, basically, that was it on the sideline, just like, yeah, you know, that was it. That was all you heard, just this muted, like, yell. It was the surreal moment because, yeah, we – I mean, the Ravens game at home was surreal, but we had been in there for a couple of scrimmages. Yeah, we were And so we had kind it. of experienced, experienced mm -hmm. it at home. Kansas City had fans. This was the first time on the road where there were no fans, and it was weird, especially when the last time we were in there was such an electric Monday night atmosphere. That was so bizarre. And then we just peed blew down it. our leg in the fourth quarter. Blew just it. totally just blew it. Johnny, no offense, interception, can't stop the run. Oh, yeah. Nightmare. There's first nightmare. and 10, Texans first and 10 at the Pittsburgh 38-yard line. Up, what is it, up one. Was yep. it up one or up, up more one. than one? No, we're up one. 21-20. Okay. All right, 21-20. So you're up one, fourth quarter, first and 10 at their 38. You got to get points right there. I mean, Something. you need the big points, but you'll take a field goal, just get a little closer, give Fairbairn yeah. a chance, and they go backwards and the, throw a bad pick. And it the look, the pick and the punt was about the same thing at that point. Ugh. But, man, those are frustrating to watch when you come back to them. All right, are you ready to play more likely to happen on a Friday? Oh, yes. Let's I do, do it. it. We're going to do go. it right now. We're going to do it right now, Johnny. Let's it's go. more likely to happen. And first up, this is the coach's edition, by the way, of more likely to happen. First out, for whatever reason, Urban Meyer 
or Matt Rule? Who is out of his job first? Whether they step aside, get fired, decide they no longer like this, it's no longer their cup of tea. Boy, I'm sounding real Urban Meyer when I talk like that. Yeah, but it, what do you think well, here? It does sound like Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Matt Rule's got a seven-year contract. Now, Dave Tepper isn't going to be one to sit on his hands if he doesn't feel like Matt Rule is getting it done. But he also gave Matt Rule that seven-year deal because he knew it was going to take a little bit to get this thing going. I think Matt Rule is there a minimum of five years. If that thing in Jacksonville doesn't start to turn the corner in a very quick hurry, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be there very long at all. And I know that's seemingly the chalk in this discussion, but I just I – mean, I've said this to a lot of people. I'll do radio interviews. I do interviews with people that I've you know, used to do college football interviews. Now I'm doing you – know, talking about the NFL. And they're like, hey, you know, what's the, what's the difference? What's the difference? And I'm like – it's massive difference. Yes, it's college and it's the NFL and it's 11 guys on the side. And it looks similar at times, but man, it is a completely and totally different dynamic. So completely and totally different, especially as a coach. I mean, you go from, you know, being kind of the father figure for your team to essentially being, um, you know, an adult on their level. I mean, you're, you're an adult man with, with kids, they're, yeah. a, they're adult men with kids. You know, you're yeah. not the father figure. They're the father figure. Yeah. So it's, it's a completely different dynamic on all different levels. Um, and I think you've got to be really special to be able to, to succeed at both. Jimmy Johnson was able to do that. Nick Saban was not. Um, so it's, it's a, it's tough. And I think that Urban Meyer is going to find that out that you don't have complete and total control of everything like you want. Those are the guys that, to me, really, really struggle. Um, so we'll see what Urban does. But I think Urban will be the first out before Matt Rule. Plus, 7-10 and 10 for Jacksonville would be a really good year, considering where they came from, you know, or a good year. 8-9 yep. and nine would be a good yep. year. He is going to lose 9 or 10 games and be okay with it. It's going to be tough. So let's yeah. just see what happens there in North Florida. All right, next up, I'm more likely to happen. Another first out. First out. Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll, who steps aside (laughs) first. All right. Carroll, by the way, is what is he on the all time win list? 18th. Belichick is third. See, Belichick, I think, is chasing Coach Shula. All right. The all time leader in wins with 328. Belichick has 287. So what is that? 41 behind him. So he's got to coach at least three years here to get him. I think first out is Pete Carroll. First of all, I think Pete's older, I believe. I think Pete's older than Belichick, which I think surprises a lot of people because they see Pete's energy and he's bouncing around. I, and not to say that the, the six rings for Belichick kind of will allow him to leave when he wants to leave. But in Seattle, you know, this offseason was – there was some uh, there was some upheaval in some sense. Mm-hmm. Pete's going to have to change a little bit of his ways and really let you know the joke was let Russ cook. He's really going to have to let Russ cook. He's really going to have to just back off a little bit. He has a certain philosophy and he's pretty strict in that philosophy. He's got to back off a little bit and and allow his guys 
especially Russell Wilson, to kind of open up. I mean, he's got Tyler Locke. He's got DK Metcalf. I know he wants to not turn the ball over, play good defense. Like, I, I get the way that Pete Carroll wants to play, and it's always a successful formula. He's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's got to let him expand the game, and I think Russell Wilson can expand his game even more. But if he continues to hold on, the one thing that Belichick, I don't think it's enough credit for, is he's more flexible in making just changes along the way, whether it's, you know, dealing with COVID. I know that the team didn't have a great season last year with New England, but there were some things going on. Like he had a lot of guys opt out and he just rolled with it. They had, um, I'm trying to remember, there was something else that happened and he was like, nope, we're shutting it down so we could test everybody. He, there was just a different mindset for Belichick. He, I think he's quicker to adapt and change than Carroll is. And I think that can come back to bite Pete a little bit. So I'm going to say first out is Pete Carroll. And I also think that the six championships for Belichick will kind of allow him to do it when he wants or when he needs to. And I don't see him wanting to do that really uh, anytime soon. This is what he does, is what he loves. Uh, and I think he's going to continue to do it for as long as he can physically handle it. And I think he's going to do that for a while. So I think Carroll is first out over Belichick. They're both 69 years old. Carol turns 70 sooner. He'll turn 70 before week two, which is just amazing. He doesn't look Crazy. it, doesn't seem no. it, but he is, you are correct, older a little bit than Bill Belichick. All right, more likely to happen, more wins in their career. Now, follow me here. The Shawns, Sean McDermott or Sean McVay? Which guy will have more wins? They are kind of neck and neck right now, about two wins apart. But obviously, McVay considerably younger than McDermott. McVay's only 35 years old, McDermott 47. The reason why I matched them up together is that they are pretty much neck and neck in wins now. And McVay strikes me as the kind of guy, might be like a Madden, might be like a Gruden. Coaches for a yes. while, maybe wins Bingo. one, and he steps aside for a while because I think McVay would be an awesome broadcaster. I've been listening to the podcast you recommended, Flying Coach. He's awesome, and I just don't know if he's going to stick with it forever. So what are your thoughts here? Hey, you stole my thunder. I think that's exactly it. I think McDermott ends up with more wins. Not that McDermott. I've talked to Sal uh, Capaccio, Sal, I reported the Bills, and he's like, you know, Sal's pretty good, or Sean's pretty good, but McVay's on you know, a different level. I think he, I think he really enjoy. He's really enjoyed doing this podcast. And I think it was maybe about a year ago, maybe two years ago, where I had seen something that either quoted him or was paraphrasing something he said about not being a lifer coach. He saw his grandfather do that. You know, John Mc, uh, John McVay. I think his name was John McVay. Yeah. I think that's right. He used to be with the Giants. Uh, he was a head coach of the Giants for a little while. He was the interim head coach for, for the Giants and the Miracle of the Meadowlands. But then he went to the 49ers, and he was in the uh, front office for a long time with the 49ers. And so he ended up with five rings. But I think McVay looked at his grandfather and was like, ah, I don't want to be a lifer. And, and I think what this business does is it allows guys to stay close to the game without having to go through that, hey, you got to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you got to be in the office at 4.45, mm -hmm. you got to do all that, like Gruden was doing. It's, this, it's the really, really infected ones, <laughs> I say infected like a sickness, yeah. that end up going back, that just can't live 
that way. And they told a great story on a flying coach podcast about, about how John Lynch became the GM because Lynch actually called Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan talked to him and, and he said, Kyle, he said, look, I know this is kind of crazy. He said, but I, I leave these games after calling them and I just don't feel an attachment. It's like, I feel like I did a good broadcast, but I don't feel an attachment to it. I want to feel that. I want to be around a team. I want to be with the team. And that's when the idea was hatched about him being a GM. I think McVay getting this experience early, this coaching experience early, he's going to be able to write his ticket into broadcasting when he wants because he's very, very good at it. And I think he'll do it. I think he's a lot like Gruden. That's the first coach he learned under. I think he watched Gruden. was like, hey, I could see a career arc like that. And whether he got back into it or not, I don't know. Long story short, I think Sean McDermott ends up with more wins of those two for that particular reason. I think McVay is, is a heck of a coach. I think he'd be a heck of a broadcaster, and I think he's going to find that he likes that, uh, that situation. And whether he goes back later or not, I think Sean McDermott will be coaching for a long time, and McDermott will end up with a lot more victories. All right, I've got one more. I might save it for next week. We might get to it next, but we'll also get to this next because Drew Doherty caught up with former Texan safety Nick Ferguson, who had some things to say about Philip Lindsay. And I wanted to get into that running back storyline. We hinted at it with John McClain last night. That's coming up next here on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Great to have you listening to Texans Radio tonight. Johnny, Philip Lindsay, running back. You've heard of him for your Houston yes. Texans. Well, Nick Ferguson, former Bronco and former Texan, signed here in 08, played in 09. Drew Doherty caught up with him. There's a big podcast on, on HoustonTexans.com. I almost said SportsRadio610.com. I don't know. I'm just having <laughs> flashbacks here. HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app. But let's listen to this tidbit here on what Nick Ferguson had to say about Philip Lindsay. When he signed with the Texans, you and I went back and forth uh, via text, and you were, you were pretty excited about it. You thought this was a move that could be uh, pretty beneficial for the Texans. After what you've heard, what you've seen, in his career and what you've heard and seen uh, of his time, short time with the Texans. What do you think of it all? I think it's great. I think it's a great move for him. Uh, one, uh, financially, I thought he was undervalued, underpaid here with the Broncos organization. Also, he was underutilized as far as his talent, because most people, when they look at Phil, they say, well, he's a small back. And I tell them he's been small all of his life, but look what he's been able to do in his body type. And I told him when I, was coaching with the 49ers and we played, we played them. I say, look, man, you play much bigger than what your size dictates. And I love the power and the energy and the enthusiasm you bring to the game. And, and here at Denver, there was a lot of criticism of Phil saying as though he can't catch the ball that well. Well, you can't catch the ball if they don't throw it to you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just pure mathematics. And the more touches you, you receive, the better you, you get. And, and just watching Phil being an undrafted player, I was an undrafted player. I mean, what undrafted player playing the running back position goes for back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, and he goes to the Pro Bowl in his first year? It's kind of unheard of. So I knew that he was one of those types of backs that, I mean, no matter who you put in front of him, no matter who you brought in, he was going to compete. And that's that's what I hope, you know, Ingram and, and David Johnson actually realizes, you know, Phil is there to compete. He's going to make you better. And don't see it as, okay, well, he's trying to take my job. That's the way we normally see it. But it's, it's about embracing that competition because you should be willing to compete for your job because it's only going to make you better. And from what I've seen from, uh, from Philip Lindsay, 
I don't care who you put out there. I don't care where you place him on the depth chart. He's going to outwork every single player, and I'm expecting him to do the same thing for you guys. That's good to hear. You know, in 2018, we saw him uh, when the Texans played. He was a rookie in 2018. And I, I had noticed just watching him that game and, and watching him in the games before and after, the violence with which he plays is kind of uncommon. Yes. You kind of touched on it, you know, there, but it's kind of uncommon to his size. You know, he's not afraid to mix it up. It looks like fun. No, 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 he's not. And once again, he's been told he's been small all his life. Yeah. So he, he's had to battle through that. But over the years, that's just kind of built up that hard, tough exterior that we see when he's running between the tackles, when he, he's running outside. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a matchup nightmare for linebackers. Once you get him outside and you dump the ball off to him in the screen, he's, he's capable of making something explosive happen. So, Johnny, we talked about this, and that's Nick Ferguson. I'm Philip Lindsay, former Broncos running back, Nick, former Broncos safety. We talked about this with the general last night a bit, and I asked him, oh, you got the four name running backs. I know you have Scotty Phillips. You have Dontrell Hilliard, who's actually named himself, and Buddy Howell, who looks pretty good in the backfield, but he's a real special teams demon. So you got the four veterans that have that brand appeal, if you will, and how do you sort out the playing time? How do you determine who's going to make the team? General brought up the great point about special teams. If you keep four running backs, two of them minimum are playing special teams for you. These guys yeah. probably aren't. I think it's going to be really interesting to follow this in training camp. As interesting as any position group on the team outside of the quarterback position, which is always the most interesting to most squads. I think the, the big key in all of this is Rex Burkhead. And, and I'll, I'll explain. He got hurt in that game against us, which was in early December. He didn't have surgery, I think, till but a week later. So it was probably in mid-December where he had the surgery. I don't know where he's going to be in his rehab. Okay. And that could – it could be good and it could be bad. Obviously bad because I think Rex Burkhead's got something, and I think he's still got something. I've always been a Rex Burkhead fan. I, I love that guy from the time he's at Nebraska. He kind of runs the football – like a linebacker in some sense, like a really fast linebacker. And that's what he used to be in, you know, Plano, uh, at Plano high school. He was a, he was a linebacking. He was a linebacker, but mm -hmm. he was such a good running back and realized, Hey man, I, my ticket's probably at the running back position. So he stayed as a running back anyways, because we don't know when Rex is going to come back. I could see a scenario where David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, Buddy Howell, just start there. Those are the four guys that they have. And then Rex gets put on, I don't know, PUP or whatever, whatever list until he's ready. And we have not seen a season in which four running backs have stayed healthy for a significant stretch at a time. So at that point, somebody's going to get dinged up. Mm -hmm. Somebody. And when Rex is ready to come back, he enters the lineup, he enters the four, and it's the matter of who gets banged up at that point. Now, if for some odd reason they are all completely healthy, well, right. okay, now you got now you got a decision to make. Which guys have been more effective, which guys can play on special teams. That's why I bring up Buddy Howe. I think Buddy can be part of your four because you saw what Buddy could do running the ball, but you went out and got some veterans because you know you had to bolster the running game. You went and got Mark Ingram, you went and got Burkhead, you went and got uh, Philip Lindsay to bolster the running game. So to me, 
depending on where Rex is in his rehab can change his philosophy. But if Rex isn't going to be ready for the first month of the season, and, and I don't know whether it is or isn't, don't know. But if he isn't, that might give guys an opportunity the first four or five weeks of the year for those three veterans and Buddy, maybe, maybe Skyfields. I don't know. The fourth guy will absolutely, without question, play special teams. No doubt play special teams. And my guess would be that if you asked Phil Lindsay to do it, he'd do it. But I got a feeling that Phil Lindsay is going to be a big part of the running game, and so you're not going to want him to do it. So the question becomes, are you comfortable carrying maybe an extra running back? Because, you know, Mark Ingram's probably not going to play on special teams. David Johnson's probably not going to play on special teams. Are you comfortable carrying an extra running back that is more a special teams guy? Because, you know, those, those two guys are not going to play. Or do you feel like, hey, look, we can't afford the roster spot. We got to make a decision between those guys. That's right. going to be interesting. But depending on where – Rex is in his rehab is going to help determine where you are with that group. You say it all the time, you know, injuries can kind of sort this thing out. It's not the best solution. It's not the greatest solution, but it ends up forcing a solution as opposed to having to decide what you're going to do. I hope they all stay healthy and I hope Rex is ready to go. I'd like this decision to be very difficult on Nick Casario to decide what he's going to do. But I think Rex may not be ready right away. And for that reason, it's going to allow those veterans to stick around with Buddy or with the guy they feel like that fourth guy is going to be a definite on special teams. Uh, and then away you go uh, from that perspective. But I love me some Philip Lindsay. And I think if you, if you asked him to play special teams, I want to say in OTAs, when they did special teams meetings, he was right there in the special teams stuff. He was right in the mix of it. So I don't think he's going to have a problem doing anything uh, and he was such a joy to talk to, just talk yeah. ball with. I don't know that we've ever done an interview with anybody that then turned it around and asked us what we thought, which was pretty interesting <laughs> when I he know. asked us what we thought of him, um, which was kind of cool. So uh, I really hope he sticks around um, and, is, and does some good stuff for this team. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, he, he redirected it to us. And this is a Zoom call. You know, we're not yeah. even meeting him face to face. And, yeah. and we're about to interview a ton of guys in about eight days here um, as they get back. And we can't wait for that as we have a big media day here. We'll get a lot of interviews and you'll hear them all here on Texans radio. I, I think it's worth noting to your point about, you know, being able to hang on to players that I don't think it's positive yet or confirmed yet, but I hate to use that word positive. Oh, my gosh. Out of context. Oh gosh. But. It is a thing that IR and the practice squads, you'll use last year's rules for 2021. Yes. So you have the 16 players on the practice squad. You can protect four every week. Uh, the IR is great flexibility, and this is probably going to stick forever, right? You have 17 games now. I don't know about the 16-player practice squad sticking forever, but you have 17 games now. And I still think COVID is a factor. There's no question yes. it's a factor. As long as you're testing, it's going to be a factor. So you have to get ready for that. Johnny, we got one more more likely to happen for you. We'll do that one next. Okay. And a little bit more on the all-time coaching list because I love looking at this stuff. Like I get to stare at the all-time leaders in receptions, running back yards, you know, rushing yards. Uh, rushing yards, by the way, is a revelation because you see the quarterbacks who are on the list and you're thinking yeah. – 
what great running backs have fewer rushing yards than some of the quarterbacks. Anyway, we'll digest some of that next here on Texans Radio. Keeping you company on a summer Friday as we only have one more Friday after this without camp. So camp practice begins July 28th. We'll be out there at the Houston Methodist Training Center from 8 to 10 a.m. broadcasting, letting you know what is happening on the practice field. It's going to be so great. I was about to say it's going to be so cool, but it's going to be very warm, actually. It's going to be hot out there at the Houston Methodist Training Center, but we cannot wait for that. Johnny, I had to clean up from the first segment. One more likely to one more more likely to happen. Are you ready for this? Okay, yeah, let's do it. All right, back to the coaching, who's out first, who's going to do what first, that kind of line of questioning. Who's going to win a Super Bowl first, Kevin Stefanski or Matt LaFleur or nobody, okay? Neither one. This is a tough one. I mean, LaFleur's been to back-to-back NFC championship games. Yeah, if you just said Stefanski and LaFleur, man. I really like what Cleveland has put together. Mm-hmm. I really do. And the Packers the last couple of years have been driven by one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The Browns are not, which makes me think that they get better play for Baker Mayfield. They're going to be a team that can and, – and look, I, I don't want to knock Baker Mayfield. I think we all know he's not Aaron Rodgers. But right. Baker's, Baker's got to take another, another step to be able to, um, to show that He's that guy that can't lead them to a Super Bowl. But, man, LaFleur, is a, he's such a good coach. I'm going to go Stefanski. And wow. I'll tell you, I'll, here's, here's why. Mm-hmm. His GM is Andrew Barry. I think Andrew Barry is helpful in giving Kevin Stefanski a team that can really be there in the mix. We don't know what happens when Aaron Rodgers leaves. I love Jordan Love. I always have. I know Dre does. Dre and I have talked about this. We were on a plane going somewhere one time, and I was playing the film. He was sitting between. He was, like, watching film in the gaps, and then I would just feel this hit on my on – my, I would feel this hit on my <laughs> That's arm. That's so Dre. Like, hey, run that back. Run that back. Man, we'd sit yeah. there and watch. We were both big fans. So, I, I, I do think Jordan Love is going to be fine. I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback when it comes to – but I don't know that everything around – Love is really at a Super Bowl caliber caliber level right now. Um, I do think it is that way in Cleveland as long as Baker Mayfield ends up being that dude. So I'm going to say Kevin Stefanski. Wow. Okay. Well, the Browns fans will be happy to hear that. All right. Back to the all-time coaching list. Are you ready for this little trivial bit of information? That's kind of interesting, and I can't be the first person to have noticed this and brought it up. But Wade Phillips and Bum Phillips – have the same amount of victories, 82. What? As a head coach. I would coach, never. You could ask that question of 100 people, and I guarantee you 93 miss it. They forget that Wade, totally you know, forget. Denver, Atlanta, Wade has head coaching victories, and yep. he's got 82 of them, and that ties him with Bum Phillips. Now, you know, there's another guy who's associated with them both who has the same amount of victories, and that would be one Gary Kubiak. All three of those men have the same amount of victories on the all-time NFL win list at 82, which I found surprising. Now, guess what? That is more victories. 82, you might think 82, that doesn't sound like, eh. All right, 82 is more wins than Jimmy Johnson has. 
Yeah. Jimmy Johnson has 80 victories. Those guys have 82. Now you can't take anything away from Jimmy Johnson, a couple of Super no. Bowls, and, and he actually did pretty well with the Dolphins, all things considered. Uh, and, you know, when you look down on the list after that, you know, you see guys like Mike Smith and uh, you see all these historic names, of course. Uh, you see Bruce Arians, you know, fewer victories. No real surprises here. Mike Zimmer, fewer victories. Jack Del Rio has 93 wins as a head coach, but you forget all those wins he got in Jacksonville. I mean, he yeah. actually had some success with them a little bit. And Marvin Lewis has a ton of wins, relatively 131 but never won a playoff game. All right. I just love all this stuff. You know, we yeah. were mentioning Pete Carroll earlier tied on the all-time win list at 18th with Mike Tomlin and Sean Payton is right behind them at 155. Those three guys still going Wow! between Belichick and them. You have Andy Reed at fifth. Now, Andy Reed, I think, look, he's no spring chicken either. Okay. Andy Reed, you know, you're dealing with a guy who's 63 years old and, hmm. you know, not like, I'm not going to say he looks every bit of it, but let's be honest. Okay. So Andy Reed, I mean, yeah. if Pete Carroll is 70, like if you just put their pictures up or video yeah. of the two of them, one guy's 70, one guy's 63, you're probably going to guess that Andy Reed might be 70, but probably victories right. 235. He's fifth all time. All time, Johnny. Andy Reid has done the work, and to see him finally get a ring a couple of years ago made me want to okay. vomit because he's the Chiefs head coach, but you're happy for him as an individual. Okay, he doesn't win another Super Bowl. In fact, the Chiefs don't even go to a Super Bowl. Okay. He coaches another five years. Is he a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Andy Reid, even though it's just one Super Bowl, the amount of victories hanging in there for that long – the amount of conference championship yeah, games. That's, okay. That's true. three Super Bowl appearances. One, if, if he never goes back again, three Super Bowl appearances, one victory. Uh, how many conference championship games are we up to? Like eight? Gosh, yes. Eight? I think it's eight. I think he was like four in a row. He was five in Philly. I know that. Five, and I think he's got three yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, four that's, here. That's right. Wait yeah. a minute. They, they missed, they went. And 18, they went. 19, okay. 20. All right. So three here with the yeah, Chiefs. I don't think they went. I don't think they went before that. No, I don't believe. No, he got. I mean, look, it was not going well for, for him in that sense for a while. Okay. His playoff record until until Andy Reid rallied his team back from 24 nothing down against the Houston Texans, capping the 2019 season. Until he did that, his playoff record with the chiefs wasn't very good, right? Remember they got bounced yeah. by Tennessee. They just, the, the one win he had was against Houston in 2015 on wild card weekend. So ever since that 24, nothing down rally, uh, it's been a whole lot better for him uh, in the postseason with that postseason record. So good for yeah, him. Yeah. Mahomes, Mahomes helps. Uh, Mahomes is a, a, little a little bit of, bit. Um, a yeah, little he bit had of an five, Oh, no, that's right. They got there in 2008. I forgot about that. You're right. He had five in Philly. He had four straight, 2001 uh -huh. through 2004. And it was finally in 2004 they got to Super Bowl. And in 2008, they made that run. They were like a six seed, a five or a six seed. And I remember they had to go to Carol, uh, Arizona to play the Kurt Warner Cardinals and lost. So they were, yeah, five in, five in Philly and three, three here or three in Kansas City. It's eight. Yeah, I think he goes in because 
who do you make a who who is a stronger Hall of Fame case? I'll throw it back at you. Either or, mm-hmm. Andy Reid or Tom Coughlin. It, look, this is kind of like the Eli Manning Super Bowl debate, right? But Tom Coughlin to me is a Hall of Fame coach, and I'll tell you why: two Super Bowl wins and two other conference game appearances with an expansion team. Expansion I think team. you yeah. you you can't just look at the numbers; you have yeah. to provide some context, and I think the context on Coughlin is very strong. Johnny, that's it for today. Thanks so much for being a part of it, as always. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. All right, we'll do more of the Nick Ferguson visit with. Uh, with Drew Doherty. We'll do more of that next week because it's really cool stuff and we'll get you ready for camp because July 28th, it all gets rolling at the Houston Methodist Training Center. Have a great weekend, everybody, and go Texans!